You're going to need your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1. I introduced as a new book of the Bible that we were teaching through, Colossians, last week. If you missed, I gave a simple little outline of the book. Let me just share it again. Colossians 1 is really about Christ. Colossians 2 is about cults. And chapters 3 and 4 is about Christians. How do we live as, as Christians, as Christ followers? So we're kind of going to finish up chapter 1, and we're going to start into chapter 2 today. And uh, uh, you can be turning now to verse 24 of Colossians 1. I titled this message, Becoming Like Jesus. And you'll understand why as we get into this, Becoming Like Jesus. It's a goal that we should all have for our Christian lives. Verse 24 says, Remember, Apostle Paul, he's writing from jail, he's in Rome, and he's writing to this church that he, he never met these people. He's writing to Colossae, but he also wants a letter read in the other churches of Hierapolis and Laodicea. He says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Let me just stop right there. I'm not sure I'm there yet. <laughs> I don't know that I can rejoice in suffering yet. It's, a, it's something we need to be able to do. Paul could say this, though, even in his sufferings in jail. He had such a heart for this church. That he said, I was rejoicing in my sufferings for you. You know, as Paul, as an overseer of all these different churches that he was planting, you know, in my role as senior pastor here, I oversee four of our churches. And it's like, for me, it's like, I kind of feel like I'm a t-ball player compared to the Apostle Paul as a major league star. And it's like, this guy is amazing. And we're going to see more of that with him, with how he operated, how he pastored, and, and his love that he had for the people. So he starts out, he's saying, I, I just rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul was willing to suffer for Christ, but in this case, for the church, because the church is the body of Christ. Paul was pro-church. Now, many times people today, they're, they're against the church. If you're against the church, you're against the body of Christ. Don't separate Jesus from the church. It is his plan to have the church. And you might say, yeah, but the church is full of all these, these misfits and these people that are saying all these things and all these hypocrites and all this type of stuff, imperfect people, sinners. They were then too. The church is made up of messy people like me. Don't look at me like that. You are messy too. We all are messy. We're all on a pathway of growing spiritually. So don't get negative against the church. What the church is, it's the body of Christ where we come together under the protection of spiritual leaders, of elders, of pastors, where we proclaim the truth from God's word and we accomplish where we want to build the kingdom of God here on earth. And we can do so much more by working together than we can by being separate. And that's why, you know, would we have had, if we had all scattered and separated, would we have had 13 guys today getting baptized at the lake? Probably not. But because of the effort of the church and there's Pastor Norm and his team working together, organized that retreat, and God works through all that. So Paul was able to find purpose in the pain. I want us to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's kind of like some experiences that Paul had. This is why I feel so inferior to him. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Okay? Uh, for those of you not good at math, that's 39. Okay? 
39 times he was, he was lashed. But that happened five different times. I think I probably would have quit after the first time. But it didn't stop Paul. Look what he went through. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from my fellow Jews, and dangers from Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the country, and danger at sea, and danger from false believers. Let's just stop there. How many of you want to be like the Apostle Paul? If this was the, the job description to become a pastor, you would not have any pastors, would you? But it didn't stop him. Why? Because of his love for Jesus. He knew that Jesus had changed his life, saved him, and he was on a mission. God had appointed him to go and take the gospel to the world. This is the hardships that he went through. He would get knocked down and he'd bounce right back up. Let's keep reading. He says, I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. But look what he puts with that whole big list of bad things. He says, besides this else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That last part there that I had underlined the concern for the churches. This is the heart of us as pastors. We care for you. We're here. Most of us could go out and probably make more money at other jobs. You know, we have this care, though, for people. God has called us, and we're fulfilling this calling. It's not a job. It's a calling. And we do have a concern for you. Paul was writing these letters from prison trying to minister to these people. Because he cared for them. Colossae was a thousand miles from Rome. And it was a pastor of Colossae, Epaphras. We talked about him last week. Epaphras probably took and went back to Rome to find Paul, told him what was going on in Colossae. There, there were some cults starting to come in and confuse the people. And that's why Paul was like so concerned that he's writing this letter so Epaphras can take it back to Colossae. And he wants it read in some other cities as well. He cared for people that much. You know, one of the hard parts of us as pastors is sometimes we're hurting and we have to minister to other people who are hurting. But it's okay because God gives us the strength. We're here for you. We're here to serve you, to minister to you. But you know what a big part we do as pastors? We want to protect the church body. We do that by teaching the Word. As we teach truth, we hope that it dispels the stuff that you're learning, that you hear out there, that maybe you read on the Internet that's not true. So we teach the truth of God's Word. But here's the first question I have for all of us. You see it on the screen. Am I willing to suffer for Jesus and His body, the church? See, many times people just want to live in uh, comfort. I just want to be comforted. I just want to be happy. I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to get anything messy. Sometimes we have to step beyond ourselves. We have to step beyond like what we want for ourselves and say, how can I take this step forward? How can I be willing to suffer? Because sometimes everybody tries to do, live their life so there's no suffering. That's not real life, though. 
If you're a Christian, he calls us to become like who? Like Jesus. Did Jesus suffer? But see, there was a purpose in his pain. And his purpose in his suffering was for you and I to have our sins forgiven. The purpose of our suffering is to help advance his kingdom throughout this earth. To make sure he gets the glory, never to about us. Let's keep going. Verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me. Remember that happened on the road to Damascus. To present to you the word of God in its fullness. The word of God in its fullness. This is why at Calvary Chapel, and you'll find this through Calvary Chapels throughout the world, we teach book by book, verse by verse through the Bible. We want you to know all the Bible. We don't want to cherry pick this verse and then this verse and try to put together some topical study. There's a reason for some topical studies. There's nothing wrong with that. From time to time, we will have topical teachings where we take verses and, and teach it. But primarily, what we do is teach expositionally through books of the Bible. There's a reason for that. So you learn the Bible in its context, what's before it, what's after it, and it it keeps us from maybe cherry-picking a verse and maybe twisting it and turning it to say something that the the original language didn't really mean. So this is what Paul's saying. I want to teach you. I want to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. Then he keeps going here, verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but's now disclosed to the Lord's people. So he's about ready to disclose this mystery. In the Old Testament, there were some things that were not understood. Just like maybe there's some things that we don't understand now, but in the future, we will understand. In the Old Testament, there's some things that they didn't understand, but now it was revealed. And Paul's going to share what some of these things are here in a moment. The mystery of what was revealed. It says, to the Lord's people. Verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that's really important, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of the parts of the mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. What is the hope of glory anyway? The hope of glory is that when we take our last breath here on earth, we enter into heaven. We get a new glorified body in heaven. I know some of you are working on trying to get a glorified body here. Sorry, it's not going to happen. You keep working at it, though. We will get a glorified body in heaven. The hope of glory, we'll see the glory of God in heaven. It's going to be a glorious place. That's the hope that we have. And that's inside of us because Christ has put that in us. No matter how bad things get here on this earth, we, we don't have to lose that hope of glory that we have it. So here's the mystery that Paul is talking about here as well as what he's going to get into in a little bit. The mystery revealed. You'll see it on the screen. First one is that Jews and Gentiles together as one people make up God's Christ's body, the church. See, as Gentiles, we didn't have to become Jewish. And Jewish people did not have to become Gentiles. We come together as one, Jews and Gentiles together, to become one, the body of Christ, the church. And so you, ha- you still have J- Jewish people who are still Jewish, but now they are completed because they see that Jesus is the Messiah. And then you have us Gentiles. See, this was a really big thing because in the Old Testament, God had, he had his chosen people. They were just the, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. The Gentiles at those times were the pagans. They were the, 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 the ones who had all these old false gods and so forth. 
But now God chose to bring the two people together as one, the church. Here's another mystery that was revealed. The inheritance and riches of Christ are for all believers. They were, again, they weren't just for the Jewish people. They were for all of us in Christ. The inheritance, you think about, we are adopted into the body of Christ. Before in the Old Testament, you had God's people, the Jewish people. Now you have God's people, Jewish and Gentiles, together as the church. And as a result, all the inheritance, the riches of Christ. In fact, that's why we titled this sermon series through the book of Colossians, The Riches in Christ. The Riches in Christ, because there's so much. And then the last thing is Jesus the Messiah would indwell in all believers by the Holy Spirit. This was a huge one that wasn't understood in the Old Testament. They didn't realize that the Messiah was actually going to be God and that he was going to come and live in us. See, they knew about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would come upon certain people for certain tasks, like Samson or Gideon or, or David or some, some different people. They had the, the Holy Spirit would come on them. They'd feel this extra power, anointing to do a, a task for the Lord. But remember, the prophet Joel gave a prophecy that in the end times, the, the, the Spirit would be poured out on all believers, men and women, that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, God in us. So when we talk about Jesus the Messiah, he actually lives in us by the Holy Spirit in us. That's huge. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. That should get you excited. No matter how bad things get, again, you've got God living in you. Don't get funky. You're not God, so don't, don't go there. <laughs> Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim. Who is? Who's the one we proclaim? Jesus. This is not a, where we come together for entertainment. We don't come together for self-help lessons or, or just some great stories about what I did all week long. We don't get in here for politics. We don't get in here for opinions. We proclaim Jesus. That's what we are called as a church to do. Preach the word, as it says. That's what we do. Now, you can still be political. You can vote. I hope you all do. But that's not what we're called to do here. We are called to, to proclaim Jesus. And look what it goes on to say. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That is the goal. It's the goal of the church. It's the goal of our pastors. It was what Paul was striving. Present everyone fully mature in Christ. Look at verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Why could Paul go through all those things, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the whippings, all those different hardships? He was strenuously contending. That, in the original language, that contending was like an athletic term. It was like what an athlete does when they're straining, maybe like picturing them going, you know, and they're trying to win, and they're just putting all their last energy into that victory. That's what Paul's saying. I'm, I'm contending for a reason. I want everybody to be fully mature in Christ. This is what we desire as a church. So here's the next thing. Our goal as Christians, you see on the screen, is to mature in Christ from the inside out. Why is it so important that we even add the inside out? Because we don't want you to become religious. We don't want you to have a bunch of checkoff lists like, okay, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, I must now be mature in Christ. No, it's really about the heart. 
Real discipleship and maturity comes from the heart. I'll give you an example. I could tell you if you're a mature believer in Jesus, you should be giving, you should be tithing, you should be giving 10% to the Lord's work. Okay? I got verses I could use for that. And you might say, okay, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. But you know you can do that with your heart not being generous? Or doing it begrudgingly. I don't really want to. See, it's not about the outward, it's about the inward. Same thing about maybe sharing the gospel. Well, I know I'm supposed to share the gospel, so I'll leave a few tracks around in the bathrooms when I go. <laughs> Sometimes I see that. No, you might be checking it off the list like I've done that. No, it's about us from our heart. Do we love people? Do we love people enough to snatch them out of the grips of hell so they're on the road to heaven? See, that's true discipleship. That's what we want. And Paul was so driven, he was strenuously contending with the energy that God was giving to him. And that's why he could continue to keep going, because God was giving him the energy. I know that energy, because oftentimes I can feel so weak, so tired, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, you feel the energy, the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to do the next thing that he's called us to do. So I'm reading this book called uh, Deeper Walk, and uh, it had about discipleship and about stages of growth, and it was comparing the stages of growth in this book to the stages of the human growth. And there was some neat correlations, and I just want to show it up on the screen for a moment. As people, but also as as, uh, people in the path of growing with Jesus, there's infants. Infants are just starting out, and they need help to grow, right? They can't do anything on their own. They need help. Same thing with people when they first come to Christ. They don't know how to do certain things. Then there's children. They're growing, and they're learning to do things for themselves, but they don't necessarily automatically just do stuff for other people, okay? They're not like, hey, can I invite some kids over so I can share my toys with them? Or can I walk in the kitchen, and how, Mom, can I help you, this or that? You know, they, they know how to do things maybe for themselves, but they're still learning that to do them for, for other people. Same thing can happen spiritually. Then you get to the adult stage. Adult, they can care for themselves and others. Okay? So they're not only looking out at their own spiritual, but they have other people in their life. They're praying, hey, how can I pray for you and this or that? So that's a good stage. But then there's the parent stage. Just like there is in the humans, there is in the spiritual side. And where parents are, they are training and helping others that are just starting out. Because they are like, oh, this person just came to Christ. How can I come alongside of them, help them? How can I help them grow? Okay? Because it's a little bit different than if you're with your peers when you're helping one that's just starting out. And then there's the elder. <coughs> Excuse me. Then there's the elder stage. <clears throat> they, raised, they have raised others. <clears throat> and they're now caring for a community. Just like our elders here do at the church. Mm, sorry. Been having trouble with my voice lately. <clears throat> elders, they look after, they protect. They've raised others. They have a track record, and now they're caring for a community. So here's the next thing you see up on the screen. It's a time of a personal evaluation for all of us. And this evaluation is, what stage of spiritual growth am I at? You, you answer that question for yourself. Are you at the infant stage? Are you at the child stage? Are you at the adult stage? Are you helping others like in a parent stage? Again, it's all spiritual. Are you an elder stage where you're looking and caring after? You've already raised some people up, and now you're caring for others. Now, on a practical side, 
One of the things that we as a church started about three years ago, and it's really gotten some traction. We've gotten hundreds of people that we've taken them through is something we call one-on-one discipleship because we want to make it very practical. How do you take somebody who's just starting out and helping them to mature in Christ? So as a team of pastors here, we developed a booklet. And it has 10 lessons on how to take people from the very basics of Christianity and walk them through. And what a participant does is they go through each of these lessons. There's questions in here. There's text in here. But there's questions that they look up the answer based on looking it up in the Bible. What does the Bible say about this? Then what they do is we pair you up with a mentor, men with men, women with women. And we pair you up with a mentor who has a mentor guide that they have some questions that they can help ask ask you when you get together. And you get together 10 times to go over the lessons, to answer questions. I've taken three people through it. It is wonderful. When I was down at the men's retreat on Friday night, I saw two of the guys that I've mentored down there serving in the men's retreat. They were just starting out at one time. And what you can do is, because everybody here, some of you say, well, I'm far from being able to do this for someone else. Well, then maybe you need to go through. And others of you are like, I've been a Christian for a long time. I'm mature. Well, then maybe you can help us because we need more mentors and we need more people that want to be mature in Christ. And what we do is kind of like a, like, like a dating service. We match you up. <laughs> and, so, and it's a beautiful thing to see. We've had some people do it in groups. Some people do it one-on-one. We call it one-on-one. That's what it's designed for. But it's a, it's a beautiful way that we can help you practically. We've had other churches take it and use it in their own churches. We, we don't care. We don't charge you for the materials. But if you're interested in this, and I pray that you would be, go onto our website under Connect, under Discipleship, and you can find under Discipleship where you can sign up to be discipled, you can sign up to be a mentor, and we even have the electronic guide that you can fill out online. Or in, you know, if you download it to your computer, you can do that, or we have the paper copies. And if you want to be a mentor, we want to make sure you're approved, so we approve you, and then we can give you a mentor guide along with a little video training to help you on how to do that. I can tell you, the guys that I took through it, we'd get together to talk about the lesson, and most of the time we wouldn't talk about the actual lesson they went through. we talk about other things because things would come up. And it's not counseling, but it's discipleship. We want to take people from where they're at and help them grow spiritually. And you can all be a part of that. This is what Paul's goal was here when he says in verse 28, I want to present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's what we want to do as a church. I would love it that everybody here could say, I'm fully mature in Christ. Amen? Wouldn't that be great? So that's how one of the things that we uh, are trying to help you with. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, and we don't know exactly know who it is, I think maybe Paul, but he wrote this about the same thing that was happening with a group of believers. And look what it says there. It says, in fact, by this time you ought to be teachers. So he's talking about these people that have been a Christian for a while, but they're not maturing. They're not growing. He says, by this time you ought to be a teacher, helping others, be a mentor. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. In other words, there's the basics of Christianity, but then there's the deeper things as you get into it, teachings on righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, 
who by constant use have trained themselves to, be, to distinguish between good from evil. So that's what it looks like. You can see the contrast there between the spiritually mature and the infants. And Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, was kind of a stern warning for them that they needed to, you know, step up, begin to grow. Okay, now let's start chapter 2, verse 1. We're only going to cover five verses. It says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea. Remember I told you this is to be written, uh, uh, read there to Laodicea. And for those who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Paul says, man, I'm contending with this group of people. I want you all to be encouraged in your heart. I want you united together in love. I want you to have complete understanding and wisdom because it's all about Jesus. And he says in verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. See, this church was starting to get deceived. People were coming in there. I mentioned this last week. There was two different groups of people coming in there. The Judaizers said, okay, yeah, you believe in Jesus, that's great, but now you have to also follow all 1,613 uh, Jewish laws. And then there was another group of people saying, you know, they're called the Gnostics. The Gnosticism uh, theology or doctrine was like the body's evil. Everything material is evil. So you could sin with your body and it wouldn't really matter. It was the inside of you that was the part that communed with God. And so that's, that's the spiritual part. That's the good part, the body. So they, they would get involved in all kinds of sexual activities and do other things because they said, oh, the body, it doesn't matter. It's just evil. So that was, the, that was what was creeping into these churches. And Paul's saying, I don't want you guys to be deceived. People are going to come in with fine-sounding arguments. What do we do today? People knock on your door with their name tags or their magazines. Fine-sounding arguments. But it's not the truth of God's word. So we have to be careful. So what we want to make sure of is what Paul was saying here is this next statement is everything in our life should have Jesus at the center. Everything. He's the source of our wisdom, our understanding, our love, our encouragement. We want to make sure Jesus is at the center of every aspect of our lives. See, Paul knew that if they got away from the truth of Jesus, they would make themselves fair game for the enemy's deception. Look what this says in Proverbs 26 about the way people can deceive us and, and so forth. I, I think it says it pretty, pretty clearly. It says, verse uh, 24 through 26 of Proverbs 26 says, Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but their hearts, they harbor deceit. Though their speech is charming, so you can't always go, they, they don't always sound evil. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their hearts. Their malice, that's another word for evil, may be concealed by deception, but the wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. How will the wickedness be exposed in the assembly, by the way? By teaching the truth of God's word. People are out there. Have you ever been deceived? 
Yeah, probably we all have. But you know, here's the thing about deception. We don't know it at the time. If we knew it at the time, we wouldn't be deceived. Deception is when at the time we don't realize it. And this is why we have to be so careful. So what do we do? We want to always point people back to the truth of Scripture. Now I want to talk to you guys as parents for a moment. I know we have a lot of parents of teens, especially in this service. But parents, you have such a critical role with your kids in teaching truth to your kids and protecting them from the, the things that are out there in this world. So here's our next point. It's directed to you as parents, really grandparents as well. Protect your kids by teaching truth and warning of deception. Now, what does that look like? When you teach truth, you've got you to bring the scriptures into everyday life. You've got to teach the scriptures. We did that by having family devotions in our, in our home, by, by, by praying with them and talking things through during the day. You know, here's a big one. We teach truth not always by what we say, but how we live. Don't have a, a disconnect between how you live and how you, you believe. We want to teach truth to our kids, and then we want to warn them of deception. They have to understand there's a deceiver out there. The world system wants to, wants to suck us into that world system. And I, I'm just here to say, um, I'm glad our kids are raised. I, I, I'm now more prayerful than ever for our grandkids because of the age that we live in. But things are getting worse and worse. There are so many kids. I'm just going to use this one example. So many kids today are confused about what gender they are. Why? Because of social media. They plant these thoughts out there. They read these things, and they think, well, well, maybe I have this tendency. Maybe I should be this or that. You know, it's just like one of many ways that the enemy is out there deceiving. We have to be the guard. We have to be the protector. Paul was constantly doing this with his church, and if, if Paul is doing this with his church, we have to do it with our families. Amen? So parents, take that charge. Be careful. The worst thing you can do it's just let your kids be like, well, they're going to find their own way. They're going to do their own thing. See, in parenting, there's two extremes. One is like you're super strict and they have no freedom at all. And they'll rebel against that, let me tell you. But the other is super lenient. Kind of anything goes. There's a balance. It's a balance that I believe that God wants for each and every one of us. Now, I'm going to jump in my notes to this area of the deceptive methods that Satan tries on us. And the reason because, okay, we're talking about 2,000 years ago. I don't know, I haven't met any people that are into Gnosticism today or Judaizers, but we have a lot of deception that can happen around us. So look on the screen here. We're going to show some things that we can deal with here as pastors at the church. These are deceptive methods that Satan tries on us. First of all, get us to focus on secret revelations. Or non-essential things not fully understood. Sometimes people are so busy arguing about things that they miss the real point of the gospel. That the world is lost and going to hell and people are spending their time arguing over all these other non-essential items. Or that there's, sometimes people come into the church or maybe come into your lives. Oh, I've got this secret knowledge. i got this real revelation. I, I heard this years ago and I believe it's, they said... If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. But sometimes people are just so caught up, like, I got this special revelation. 
You always got to make sure you would check everything against the scripture. Next is that where people, and I find this in a lot of other countries especially, people prioritize, that's the key word, prioritize experiences with God above scripture. And they can have anything kind of go all in the name of God. Like, well, you know, I, I feel this, and I, I want to do this, and this experience, and this, and that. And it's like, okay, but does it line up with Scripture? Does it contradict Scripture? Well, I just experienced it. Let me tell you something. Sometimes I've challenged some people on some of their actions or the, what, they're, what they're believing and saying, and I say, you know, that seems to contradict Scripture. And here's what people have said to me. They've maybe said it to you before, too. You can't put God in a box. You ever heard that? Can't put God in a box? Do you know what? If you, if you really believe that, you know what you're saying? Anything and everything goes. I believe there, God has given us sort of, sort of a box. It's the Word of God. The Scriptures. There's plenty in here for us to obey and to believe, right? Now, yeah, God is so big, he can't, we can't even fathom him and so forth. But we never, and by the way, we can have experiences with God. We should have experiences with God. The key thing is that we don't ever prioritize those above what Scripture says. That's deception. Here's another one where, where people will try to get us to doubt the deity of Jesus. Oh, yeah, Jesus, he was a great teacher. He was a prophet. But they want us to doubt the deity of Jesus and the accuracy of the Bible. The accuracy of the Bible. I'll, I'll, sh- I'll show you. This is what happens in many churches across our country. And I don't think these churches, their backgrounds didn't start this way. But a pastor will hold a Bible up and he'll say something like this. This Bible contains the word of God. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? If you ever hear somebody say it contains the word of God, from now on your antenna should go up. You know what they're saying? Some of these verses are the word of God. But they're also saying some of these verses are not. Well, you know, Paul was off on topics like homosexuality. You, you can't go by what Paul was saying there. Or that was just a cultural thing, and so we're going to dismiss that. What people do is they start to say, I am now the judge on what is God's word and what's not. We believe all God's word here. This Bible is the word of God. It doesn't just contain it. It's all the word of God. Because the Bible, God's word is to judge us. We are not to judge it. There's a lot of people out there that are judging the Word of God and determining what was really true and not. There's whole groups of people out there that do that. That's another deceptive method. Here's another one where people want to move. They were saved by grace. Oh, we're saved by grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Now we're saved. But then they want to somehow get people to start to shift to legalism. It's like Jesus plus. You fill in the blank. Okay, yeah, I'm saved. But now, oh, you also got to do this now, and you got to do this, and you got to do this. And they add to it for salvation. That's legalism. We got to guard against that. And it can creep in. It crept into these early churches that Paul was dealing with. Let's go into some next ones. Oh, this is a big one. The deceptive method of Satan he tries on us is to believe sin doesn't really have consequences. You know that sin, that's not going to hurt anybody. Yeah, that's just. Yeah, nobody needs to know. That's just me. That's whatever. He wants us to believe sin doesn't have a consequence. Let me tell you something. That's a lie. That's deceptive. First of all, it negatively affects your relationship with God. So there is consequences. Oftentimes, sin affects our relationship with other people, our families. And here's the last one, self-reliance instead of trusting God. 
Satan always wants us to be like, well, we can do this. We can take care of it. You're gifted. And let me tell you something. This is a warning for all of you who are gifted, really gifted in different areas. Maybe you have a lot of financial means. God's blessed you. Great. But it's real easy to shift into like, well, you know, I can just write a check for that. I don't really. You begin to rely on your, your resources rather than on God. God gives us resources to invest. He doesn't want us to rely on those and trust in those more than, than God. So those are just some deceptive methods. So here's our point out of all this, is that the more we read God's word, the less likely we'll be deceived. We do not want you at Calvary Chapel just to come here and hear the word of God when you come to a service. We want you feeding on the word of God every day. Don't be dependent on us. We're teaching you some things, but we want to show you it can be anybody. You can read the Bible and get understanding and talk to God about how does this apply to my life. The more you know the Word of God, the less likely you are to be deceived. And I can tell you, a lot of people that get deceived is because they're biblically illiterate. They know a little bit of the Bible, but they don't know much. And then when somebody comes along with their fine-sounding argument, their charming words, they fall for it. We don't want that to happen to you. Look what the Apostle Paul said in in Luke 20. He was talking to the church of Ephesus, and he was uh, getting ready to leave for Jerusalem. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. Why? In order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I've never stopped warning you each. Night and day with tears. You see the heart of a real pastor there, don't you? The warning with tears. He knew that people would rise up. And you know what the church is in greatest danger is? is not from the people on the outside. It's from, from a lot of times from church is people within the inside. Because we're all, again, a bunch of messy people. We all can get misled at times and so forth. But we have to. And that's lead to our last verse, verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. See, Paul had a lot of hope for this church. They, had, they hadn't gone too far yet. And uh, he was like speaking to the more mature ones there. But he's saying there that you're disciplined and you have a firm faith in Jesus. So here's our, our last point. Maturity in Christ is built on a firm foundation of faith. When you're mature in Christ and you have that firm foundation, the storms of life will come. The wind will blow. The rain will come. The water will rise. And your house will not st- fall because it has the rock solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But when you're not on a solid foundation and the, and the storms come, you can come crashing down. We don't want anybody here to crash down. We want you to have that firm foundation. So in a moment, we're going to uh, pray. We're going to talk about, uh, you're just as we pray, we're going to talk about just making sure that we all are on a plan for growth. We're going to take communion here in a moment. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we wrap up this message, Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to each and every one of us, showing us 
where we're at in our walk with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us about some very tangible ways that we can grow spiritually, that we won't be content with where we're at, that we will grow spiritually, that we will see that we all have a goal, and that's to become like Jesus, mature in Christ. So show us, Lord God. Show us if there's any areas of our life where we've been deceived, where we've gotten off track, where we maybe have listened to this person or that person and gotten away from the truth of Scripture. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if there's anyone here today, and I really believe there is, who you need to make your, you need to turn your life around. You need to follow Jesus. You need to commit your life to following Jesus. You need to start on that path of growth with Christ. In a moment, we're going to take communion. Communion is only for believers. If you're not yet a believer, we don't want you to take communion. But if you're ready, and you're ready to become that believer, whether you've done it in the past or you're ready to do it for the first time, I want to lead you in a prayer right there in your seat. This is between you and God, but it's an act of faith. It's an act of visible faith. And I'm going to say, at this point, if that's you, would you just raise your hand up high? Amen. Great. There's places where there's families raising their hand. Awesome. Others of you. Okay. Okay, good. Others. Balcony. Looking up at you guys. Others of you. Okay, good. You're not joining the church. We don't even have membership here. But you're saying, I want to begin to follow Jesus. We're going to pray here in just a moment. Anybody else? Maybe you've been wrestling. You feel that tug inside. You know you're supposed to, but you're, you're still not ready yet. But you're, you're like, I know I'm supposed to. Let me just encourage you. There's nothing in the world that's worth saying no to Jesus for. As we talked last week, you're either for him or against him. Anybody else? You're ready to pray. Okay, you can put your hands down. Let me lead you in this prayer. These are not some magic words that you say, but it's really about you praying from your heart. But you can put it in your own words if you want, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart. You're praying to God. Just say something like this, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for all my sins. I repent of my old way of life now. And I want to follow Jesus from this day forward. So please forgive me of all my sin. I put my faith in you as Lord and Savior. Send your Holy Spirit to live in me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give a hand to those that prayed that prayer? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Would you stand? We're going to... Uh, have a worship song, and then we're going to take communion together. Sing together, I believe. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three.
Hallelujah. Now, if you were ones that prayed that prayer a moment ago and you raised your hand up, God has forgiven you of your sins. If you really meant it, you're you're able to take communion with us because you're part of the body of Christ. As the Bible says, otherwise you bring judgment upon yourself. So you can open up the little piece of bread, a cracker here. It represents the body of Christ, the body of Jesus. It says, on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He broke it and said, this this represents my body broken for you. He said, do it in remembrance of him. So in a moment, as we take this, we remember what Jesus Christ did, the sacrifice that he did. Think about it. He left heaven, a perfect place to come here, live a very humble life, be rejected by people. Go all the way to the cross for us. So Jesus, as we hold this piece of bread representing your body, we thank you for your broken body. We thank you for all that you've done for us and continue to do for us. And we do take this in remembrance of you. Let's partake. And it says, after the supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And as you take this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back again. We know he's coming back again. That's getting really close. When you see what's going on in the world, he's coming back again. I hope you're prepared and ready. He's coming back. But we take this cup, remembering the shed blood of Jesus. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So he was the lamb that took away the sins of the world. I'm glad we don't have to bring animals in here and do sacrifices. That he was that once and for all sacrifice for us. So Lord Jesus, as we hold this cup representing your shed blood, even this cup representing the wrath of God, we take this knowing that you took God's wrath upon yourself when you went to the cross. You paid for our sins. We're thankful for the new covenant that's in your blood. We take this now remembering and thanking you. Jesus' name. Let's take. Thank you all for being here. If you are new, I want to just welcome you to Calvary Chapel Melbourne. We have a place out in our commons out here to my right. There's a big center ring out there, our information center. Make your way out there. Give you some information.